Good morning, church. Man, I love being with you guys. God is so good. Like Chuck said, my name is Doug, one of the pastors for our church. And I've got to start with a story this morning, all right? The year was 2007. The location was Omaha, Nebraska. My family had just moved up here from Texas, and it was a season of transition and change. A new city, a new job, a new house, a new church. And in that season of transition and change, I discovered something better. You see, I didn't just get a new house and a new city and a new church and a new job. I also got a new computer, a better computer. Okay, for the first 26 years of my life, I was bound over in shackles to Windows machines. I had to listen to AOL dial-ups and figure out Norton antivirus software and lug around a laptop that looked more like a portable projector screen. But then I discovered something better. I discovered a MacBook. Now, I can't take credit for it. It was my supervisor and my friend at the time who demanded that I no longer use my compact Windows laptop. He demanded that I discover something better, so we loaded up in his minivan, went to Nebraska Furniture Mart, and I got my first MacBook. And at first, I was a little bit skeptical. Isn't a computer a computer a computer? Don't they all do the same thing? What is really the difference? But then I pulled the MacBook out of the box, and suddenly, without any effort, I was cooler. I was wearing a hoodie and my shirt was untucked. It was, no, really, that didn't happen. But what I discovered as I got the MacBook going is that it was just better. I had heard facts about how it looks cooler or slimmer or it goes faster. People told me about things like random access memory and built-in antivirus protection and a time machine and iTunes and all these different things. But my experience was the computer just worked better, right? And what that taught me, I know I'm kind of a max snob, but what that taught me, that experience and others, is that us humans are drawn to better. What works better? What looks better? What tastes better? We are drawn to better. We think we're these like really complex creatures who run algorithms and calculations in our minds and brains to try to figure out the economic and financial pros and cons of such and such a purchase. But at the end of the day, right, we're really driven by what our heart desires. We're really driven by what our heart believes is better. And in Council Bluffs, we are especially driven by what we think works better. I love this about our city. We're not like looking for fancy or fanciful. We just want to know what gets the job done. What makes it happen? What works better? And this morning, City Light, I'm here to say that more than anything else, Jesus is better. Amen? Jesus is better than my laptop. Jesus is better than money or sex or power. Jesus is better than a new truck or a new toy or a new tool. Jesus is so much better than those things. We're going to read a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus heals a lame man. And the point of the story is so that we might discover that Jesus is better. 
So let's read it again. We're going to take a few verses up front, starting in verse 1. Let's look at it. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So here's the scene. Here's kind of what's going on. Jesus is entering the big city, Jerusalem, and he's entering it right in the prime of his ministry. Jesus was already famous kind of out in the small towns and the backwoods. Now he's going into the big city, and so you think he would make a splash, get famous. But surprisingly, he goes to this pool of Bethesda which is a place where multitudes of paralyzed, lame, debilitated, deformed people would gather. They had these five-roofed colonnades, like big porches, that would give them some shelter and shade. But you could just imagine walking into a small pool surrounded by dozens of people who were deformed, injured, hurt, debilitated, lame, paralyzed. They're all there. It'd be like walking into a hospital and all of the patients in the hospital, instead of being in their own rooms, are out in one big room. Cancer patients, heart patients, infections, viruses, diseases, injuries, pains, fears, all in one room and Jesus walks in. That's the scene. That's what's happening here. And when Jesus walks in, he notices a man who has been there for 38 years. Can you imagine that? 38 years of watching others in their pain. 38 years of laying around not being able to walk. 38 years of wondering what is wrong with my body and will it ever get better. 38 years of watching healthy people walk by, do their thing, function normally and ignore him. 38 years of being an invalid, a nobody, a pointless person, unnoticed and uncared for. But then Jesus shows up And Jesus notices him. Jesus singles him out and he goes up to him and he says, do you want to be healed? Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I was like, Jesus, bro, why are you even asking the dude the question, right? Like he's been this way for 38 years. It seems like a no brainer, Jesus. But maybe Jesus did need to ask him the question because that man had been that way for 38 years. Years, His identity was that guy, the one who had been at the pool of Bethesda for so long. He probably had friends around him who were invalid or diseased or in pain, and they understood each other. They comforted each other. They complained to each other. They accepted each other for how they were. This man, this was the life that he knew, his pain, their pain of those people at, beside the pool of Bethesda, their pain is what united them. In fact, if this man was ever healed, pretty much everything in his life would have to change. So Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And I think this morning, Jesus is asking some of us the same question. Do you want to be healed? We can do the same thing as the multitudes that were gathered around the pool of Bethesda. We can build a life based on our pain. 
And the pain isn't our fault. It was inflicted by others, hurt that we couldn't avoid, a disease that we couldn't push away. But then we get used to the pain. And we start building friendships and community around that pain. That disease, that injury, that hurt, that scar begins to become such a part of our life that if we're honest, we're not for sure if we could live without it. Many of us can actually live out of wounds that we, we received years ago. That thing that she said about you, those things that they did to you, the injury that kept you from fulfilling your dreams, or the disease that you never asked for and you never wanted. And at first, it was the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But now, over time and over years, it's almost become a comfort, a tag-along, a companion with you in your journey. And so Jesus is asking us this morning, do you want to be healed? I think what this part of the story is showing us this morning is that Jesus is better than your pain. Jesus is better than your pain. I know right now it might be difficult to imagine healing actually happening in your body or in your heart. It might be difficult to imagine relationships without scars from the past. It might be difficult to dream of a future that is pain-free. But this story is here in John 5 to help us see that Jesus is better than your pain. Your pain is real, but it doesn't have to define you. And in no way will Jesus ever minimize your pain, but might it be that he does want to heal it? Whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, might today be the day when Jesus wants to heal your pain? That's the question he asked this lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be healed? And so this man responds in the next verse, and he says, Sir... I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. So there was this story um, that was going around, and everybody in that time had heard the story that when the waters of this pool were stirred up, or there were bubbles that bubbled up, the first person to get into the pool would be immediately healed. We don't know, was it a true story? Was it made up? Was, Was it a legend? But we do know that this man believed that story, and he had believed it for 38 years. He wanted to get healed. He wanted to get better. He just couldn't. And so the next thing that Jesus does is just classic Jesus. He doesn't try to explain to this man, hey, this is the sickness that you're actually dealing with. Let me just help you understand it. He doesn't sign this man up for physical therapy. He doesn't like give him a theological lecture on how, no, it's not really the waters that are healing you. It's the sovereign hand of God actually healing you. Jesus doesn't even say, well, if you just had more faith. Jesus just walks up to the man, and as Jordan said, with mercy, he says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Jesus simply showed that he is better than this man's pain. For 38 years, the community around this man couldn't get the job done. For 38 years, this man himself couldn't get the job done. The superstition of stirred up waters couldn't get the job done. So Jesus says, I'm here, I'm better, I can heal your pain. And so he heals the man. Take up your bed and walk. 
So I, I want to be gentle this morning because I know those who are experiencing pain, it's real. But I also want to invite you. Could you give your pain to Jesus this morning? Would you give that over to him? That pain no longer has to define you. Jesus can define you. That pain doesn't have to be a companion that follows you wherever you go to each new job or each new relationship. Jesus can be that one who leads you. May the compassion of Jesus be the guide for your future instead of the pain of your past. Might this morning be the morning when you give your pain to Jesus. Now, I have to be honest. Giving your pain to Jesus may not mean that he immediately takes it away. Right There's times when Jesus does walk in and he heals someone, but there were still plenty around him who were not healed that morning. When you give your pain to Jesus, it just means that it is now his, no longer in your control. The goal isn't to actually live pain-free, but to live Jesus full. It's not for you to all, all of a sudden not have any pain. It's so that you can more and more have Jesus filling up your heart and your life. Might this morning be the morning when Jesus wants to heal you of that ailment, that disease, that injury. Might this morning be when he wants to heal you of that relationship wound that someone inflicted on you. Will you give your pain to Jesus? The story's telling us that Jesus is better than your pain. So that's the first part of the story, Right? And it's an exciting part. When you think about it, it's like, what a day for that man. He's excited. He's celebrating. He's thrilled. He's walking around. He's got his mat, and he's grateful. Now, let's keep going in the story and see what happens next. The next words that John pins are very important. It's simply this. Now, that day was the Sabbath. Okay, it sounds like it's just a transition that you learn how to write in English class, but there's so much more to it. John's writing is full of meaning. The Sabbath was and is one day a week that is meant to give us rest. It is a gift. The Bible says it's a gift to humanity so that in the midst of our crazy busy schedules, we know that God has given us a day where we can just chill out, relax, and rest. The Sabbath was a big deal in the Old Testament, during the time of Jesus, and in the New Testament. We really don't talk about it a lot, but it's a major theme through the scripture. So the Sabbath is this one day a week that is meant for rest, to relax. But there were these Jewish leaders that we see in John chapter 5 who took this gift of Sabbath to humanity and made it something really difficult and tricky and complex. They went in and took the command to rest and added a bunch of rules on top of that about what is rest and what isn't rest. So taking a nap on the Sabbath day, man, that's great. Good rest. But making up your bed after you took a nap, whoa, slow down, you rebel. Why are you breaking the Sabbath? You're getting out of hand here, right? Going for a walk for 50 yards with your family to connect. Oh, great idea. That's good rest. But if you take it to 60 yards, oh my goodness, what is your problem? Why aren't you honoring God? Why are you disobeying these Sabbath rules that we made up? I mean, it was goofy rules like that that they made up. And so that's what they did back then. Religious people still do stuff like this today. My wife and I have been to the nation of Israel. And in Israel, the elevators have a Sabbath mode. Okay, six days of the week, you get on the elevator, you push the button for whatever floor you want to go to, and it takes you to the floor, ding, open, out, right? Fantastic. But on the Sabbath day, which in Israel is on Saturday, it's in Sabbath mode. So we're there, and we're staying in a hotel. We turn 
and it's Sabbath, and we see, and it's like all the buttons are lit up, you know, like Buddy the Elf um, at the Empire State Building, and they're all lit up, and it literally stops at every floor, ding, door open, close, ding, door open, close, so I'm like losing it inside, just getting like so stressed out, get me to my floor, you know, what is going on here, but in the rules that these people made up, it says that you can't start a fire on the Sabbath, and pushing that button apparently causes a spark, which leads to starting a fire, right, so in Israel, still today, the elevators have a Sabbath mode, back in Jesus's day, one of the rules that they made up was you can't carry stuff on the Sabbath, okay? It's cool to walk, but as you walk, you can't carry stuff with you. It's too much work. Things might get out of hand. So these Jewish leaders see this guy who had been an invalid for 38 years, and he's walking, and he's carrying his mat. So what do they do? They freak out on him. Dude, what's your problem? Why are you carrying your mat? You know the rules. There is no mat carrying on the Sabbath, right? And he's like, um okay. Like he had no idea. He was just happy that he had been lame for 38 years and now he's walking and they're going, what's your problem? He's like, I don't know. This dude just walked up to me and he healed me. And then he told me to like carry my mat. Maybe he just wanted the place to stay clean. I'm not for sure. I'm just carrying my mat and walking around. Can't you be happy with me? And they're like, who told you to do this? Who, who healed you on the Sabbath and told you to pick up your mat and carry it around? And the the guy really didn't even know at that time. But these Jewish leaders knew exactly who it was. And they were infuriated at Jesus that he would do something like this. And they immediately began to gather together and hatch a plan to find Jesus, trap Jesus, and even kill Jesus. This is a, it's a comical story. I mean, it's just ridiculous, their response. But City Light, what we're seeing here is a thing called religion. Religion fails to celebrate God's goodness and instead magnifies the laws that religious people make up. Religion fails to see the grace of Jesus Christ and instead magnifies our errors, Religion eventually avoids Jesus, hates Jesus, and even wants to kill off Jesus. Religion is an enemy of Jesus Christ. I just said that from the stage. And so I should probably clarify what I mean by religion, okay? You're like, Doug, you're a pastor. Don't say that. Let me clarify what I mean by religion. Religion is this. It is our attempt to please God in our own power. Religion is our attempt to please God in our own power. So back in Jesus's day, it looked like religious leaders making up a ton of rules that everybody had to follow. Today, it looks like Sabbath elevators that ding and door open and close on every single floor. And in this particular instance, it looked like these religious leaders getting mad because this guy is carrying his mat instead of celebrating that he's healed and actually being able to walk. Religion is rampant still today. It's all over our city and it's all up in our hearts. Here's what religion can look like in my life. This past week, my wife and I got into an argument. It happens every five or six years. Um, <laughs> we got in an argument. There was a disagreement, something was wrong, and we're usually pretty nice about it, but you know something's off, something is wrong. So instead, this is what I do. Instead of going to God about it and actually relating with God, 
I try to fix it myself, right? I don't pray about it. I start to worry about it. I put guilt and shame on myself. I try to fix it myself, right? And how do I fix it? Oh, I act really nice. I am so sweet to Whitney because I want to get Whitney to be okay with me because in my religious mind, I think it's such a terrible thing to have conflict in my marriage and God will disapprove of me and not be okay with me if I have conflict in my marriage. So I go try to fix it by being sweet to Whitney and getting her back on my good side. It's religion, me trying to please God in my own power. But in that moment, what would Jesus say to me? I think Jesus would say to me, Doug, yes, things are off in your marriage. There's conflict right there. Doug, I see your sin. You have wronged your wife. I see that sin, but I've also covered that sin with my blood. I have forgiven you of that sin, and now you are free. Now, Doug, relate with me and journey with me so that I can help you change and your marriage can be restored to where it was. See, like, do you see that those are two radically different universes? The first one, religion, is me trying to please God without God. The second one is me knowing that Jesus has pleased God already so I can enter right into relationship with God. In your life, religion may look like attending church to try to get God off your back. It might look like trying to stop cussing so that you feel like a better person. It might look like dropping a five in the giving box on your way out so God doesn't strike you with lightning right? It might look like, man, I'm going to help lead a city group so that I can show God that I'm trying my best or volunteering with kids so that you don't feel guilty whenever we give announcements. Religion can take on many different forms, but the fruit of religion is always the same, discouraged, despairing, and distant from God. That's where religion always gets you. Eventually, you end up being the spiritual police and you arrest yourself or those closest to you. City Light, I've got some good news this morning, okay? Jesus is better than religion. Jesus is so much better than religion. Trade in your religion for the grace of Jesus. Trade in your spiritual policing for the freedom of Jesus. Trade in your desire to earn for Jesus' promise of mercy. Trade in your despair for his delight. Religion says, you better do more. Jesus says, I've already done it. Religion says, try harder. And Jesus says, trust me. Me. Religion says God will be angry with you until you get your act together. Jesus says, I am for you right now, and it's only through me that you can actually change. Religion says you'll never measure up. Jesus says, I measured up for you. Religion says, Oh, I'll find something wrong with your life. Jesus says, I died for everything that is wrong with your life. Religion says you're a sinner. Jesus says, I'll save you. Religion says you're guilty. Jesus says you're forgiven. Jesus is so much better than religion. You don't have to stay trapped there. You don't have to stay stuck there. I know you're thinking, oh, but if if I give up religion, how am I going to stay on the straight and the narrow? Listen, man, like Jordan said, later on, Jesus found this guy and he said, hey, go and sin no more. When this man had experienced the mercy and the grace and the healing of Jesus, that gave him the power to stay on the straight and the narrow. Not these rules and religion that people had made up. Does that make sense? Jesus is so much better than your religion. I want to close this morning with a story 
that I think kind of brings these things together. Jesus is better than your pain. Jesus is better than your religion. Uh, shortly after college, my brother and I went bungee jumping. And you got to understand a little bit of the dynamic between my brother and I. Um, he's a little bit older than me, and he's just fearless, right? He's just this, you know, crazy guy. I was always kind of the scaredy cat brother, the younger one. And I thought it'd be cool. I could impress my brother if I went bungee jumping with him. And so we go to this place. It's like a thrill park or amusement park or whatever. And they, they, you get on this elevator or whatever, and it takes you up to this diving platform way up high. And they got a net down there just in case the bungee doesn't work, you know, all that sort of stuff. We both get strapped into bungees around our ankles. And so my brother goes first. And he gets out on that diving platform. He does this, like, beautiful elegant swan dive. You know, it just looks awesome to watch. You can tell he was just loving it. It was awesome. Well, then I get out to the platform and I'm going to like inching forward and I get to the edge and I just kind of like flop myself forward to get off. I was so scared. And so the whole way down, I'm like trying to resist gravity thinking it's going to work. And then I get to the bottom and the bungee snaps and so does my back. And it was, it was just so painful. So for a few weeks, I'm I'm just walking around like an eight-month pregnant lady. You know, like, you got to support the hips, support the lower back, all that sort of stuff. Well, at the time, I was a college pastor for a church, and uh, we had this weekend where we took all of our leaders, and we did some teaching and training. We were talking about how Jesus still heals today, just doing real deep Bible study on how Jesus still does that today, all that sort of stuff. And so we get to the end of it, and I say to everybody, hey, let's not just study this stuff. Let's actually practice it. Is there anybody who feels like they need to be healed? And nobody like responds. And so I'm trying to be real spiritual and like scan the room, stuff like that. And after a few moments, they say, well, Doug, you've been complaining about your back. Why don't we pray for you? And so in my best pastoral tone, I said, thank you guys. But is there anybody else who needs prayer for healing this morning? Right? And so they persist and very gently and graciously, they gather around me. A couple of guys put their hands on my back and they just prayed, God, would you please heal Doug? And in that moment, like it says in the Bible, at once, the pain was lifted. It, it was gone. Jesus healed me, right, through their prayer. And so was, I didn't have to walk around, amen, right? I didn't have to walk around like an eight-month pregnant lady anymore. In fact, that night we were playing hide-and-go-seek and I was running around like a crazy kid. Now, here's the deal. Here's what was happening. In that moment, why did I deflect? I thought I didn't deserve healing. Religion told me that I deserved the pain I was in. I was the knucklehead who went bungee jumping, so I should pay the price for my knuckleheadedness. I should pay the price for my folly. Religion told me, Doug, don't bother God with this. He has bigger fish to fry. But thankfully, my friends, they knew the grace of Jesus And they gathered around me and they prayed for me. And in that moment when I was healed, I experienced two truths. I experienced that one, yeah, Jesus is better than my pain. It hurt and now it's gone. Jesus is definitely better than my pain. But I also discovered Jesus is better than my religion. I thought I had to pay the price for my own folly. And Jesus is like, no, this is a gift. This is a grace. I love you. I've paid for that. Does that make sense, church? And so this morning, I want us to hear Jesus is better than your pain, and he's better than your religion.